Brilliant. Thanks, Phil. Um, I've discovered two things before you get up to preach that you should never do. Number one, never spill water down yourself. And number two, if you use a menthol lip balm, never put it on with your fingers and then rub your eyes. I just discovered those two things this morning, so I share that with you by way of revelation. Uh, good, good to be with you this morning. Uh, great to be here. Uh, we, uh, Carol and I celebrated our 22nd wedding anniversary this week on Friday night, which was uh, great. And uh, we were just reflecting on Friday night how opposites attract. And our story is very much a story of opposites attract. We are pretty much opposite in every way you can think of. She's an external processor. I'm an internal processor. She's an extrovert. I'm an introvert. I like to read. She just likes to get on and do stuff. Um, I, I come from a, like five generations of pastors on my mother's side, and no one ever has even thought about Jesus in most of Carol's family. Uh, in fact, I remember this occasion when I was having a conversation with Carol's dad once, and he was a tiler, and he kind of uh, tiled buildings all around London and southeast London, and I was once chatting to him, and it really was opposites kind of meeting, and he's like, so, uh, so Phil, what, do you, what is it that you do? I said, oh, I'm a church pastor, and he looked really impressed, and he says, oh, it's great, he says, does the church need much plastering? <laughs> I said, no, 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 I'm a church pastor. He said, oh, well, what's one of those then? I said, you know, like I, I'm involved in like, leadership in the church. He's like, oh, so what do you do the other six days of the week? <laughs> and we had a moment of East meeting West. It was one of those moments. And uh, anyway, uh, we celebrated 20, 22 years, which was fun. So, guys, we're just going to pray. What we're mainly going to do is pray for the preacher this morning because he had two hours sleep last night and he's running on caffeine and the Holy Spirit and anything could happen this morning. So um, should we just pray for a moment? Lord, we thank you that we are your people. We are highly favored, highly loved. We are those that are called by your name. We are the sheep of your pasture. And Lord, what a privilege it is this morning to just come as we are and know that we find acceptance and love and kindness and mercy in your presence. Lord, we thank you that this is a safe place where any of us, no matter how far from God we might feel, how close to you might feel, any of us can come to a heavenly Father who bids us welcome. And so, Holy Spirit, come. I pray you'd anoint the preacher. Um, help him to make some sense. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we've started this uh, series called Ephesus, One Church with Multiplying Influence, because we believe that God is calling us as a church to be a church that has multiplying influence. And Ephesus was one of those early churches that was, became one of the most influential centers for the spread of the Christian gospel in the early world. And what we found last week as Simon began the story of the church in Ephesus is that the church got birthed in this amazing move of the Holy Spirit, so much so that in this kind of occult infested city, people began to bring their magic books and burn them publicly and say, we are leaving this lifestyle and we are all in for Jesus and we are burning our books to say it's Jesus plus nothing. And there was this just amazing move of the Spirit in that city. And what it led to was the growth of a very, very substantial and large and influential church. And later on in Paul's life, he is in prison in Rome. He's been in prison for preaching the gospel. 
And in roughly the, the, the year AD 62, he begins to write letters to some of the churches that he started. Uh, he writes a, book, writes a letter to the church in Colossians. Uh, he writes a letter called Philemon. And also, while he's in prison in Rome, he writes a book to his friends in Ephesus, a church that he'd planted some 30, 40 years previous. And as we begin to uh, look at this passage in Ephesians, th- this really is one of the, the mountaintop, Mount Everest moments in Scripture. Because we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 1, which if you could pick any scripture passage to preach from this would be the one but it's also fairly daunting because you could spend 10 years looking at Ephesians chapter 1 and we're going to do it in 30 minutes so uh, you know Michelangelo he had the Sistine Chapel Churchill had we shall fight them on the beaches I'm waiting for my photo here there it is Ben Stokes had Headingley 2019 just to say, I was watching the cricket highlights this morning at 3 a.m., and it wasn't very encouraging. Um, but anyway, he had that moment at Headingley in 2019. Well, Paul has Ephesians chapter 1. This was like one of his high moments, this breathtaking unveiling of the purposes of God in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to uh, dive into Ephesians chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, I would encourage you to open it now. I'd always encourage you to bring your Bible to church. If you don't, it's a little bit like a soldier turning up to warfare without his best weapon. So let's open our Bibles and look at Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to see what Paul has to say to us this morning. And we're going to start in verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus... Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Let's just pause there before we get into the rest of this passage. Right off the bat, as Paul is writing to his friends in Ephesus who would have read this letter out to each other, he starts with this phrase, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I would suggest to you that this passage in Ephesians 1 is not primarily an identity passage. Ephesians 1 is primarily a praise passage. Paul is writing Ephesians 1 that you might look in at what God has done so that you might look up to who God is. Okay, you're making me work hard this morning. This is a praise passage. Paul is saying, listen, look at God's handiwork. Look at what God has done in Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And, you know, if, if uh, Del Boy and Rodney were having a conversation about this passage, this is what they would say. You are now spiritual billionaires. Now, I don't know if anyone can do a nice kind of uh, northern, kind of North London Cockney accent for me. Rodney, we're going to be spiritual billionaires. Spiritual billionaires. And that's what Paul's saying to the Ephesians. He's saying, listen, you have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. You are spiritual billionaires. That's what he's saying. Why is he saying it? That you might praise the God who made you wealthy. 
that you might praise the God who made you rich, that you might praise the one who did that for you. That's why Paul writes Ephesians 1, that we might look up. The point of your riches is praise. Psalm 8 puts it this way. He starts the the psalm with, What is man that you are mindful of him? You've crowned him with glory and honor. When I consider the work of your hands, oh Lord, how majestic is your name. What's the point of thinking about your identity in Christ? It's not that you can congratulate yourself. It's so that you can praise the God who made you wealthy. When I consider the work of your hands, oh God, how majestic is your name. And Paul, even before he tells us what the spiritual blessings are, he cannot help but to say, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. He just can't help himself because you cannot look at the grace of God without praising the God of grace. You cannot consider the work of God's hand, his love in your life without also saying, God, I was made to adore you, to worship you with everything within me. And as I said earlier, this word praise is the word halal, from which we get the word hallelujah. And it literally means to make much of God, to boast in the Lord, to rave about him. And that's what Paul's doing in Ephesians on. He is raving about God. You ever been to a rave? We'll pray for you now. I mean to rave? Well, Paul, Paul is having his own personal rave as he's writing in prison. He's shackled for the gospel, but he is just halal. He's boasting in the Lord. He's saying, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of worship is tethered to seeing God's grace clearly. You see, praise actually has nothing to do with aesthetics. I would rather be in an uncool church that knows how to praise than being in a cool church that is lukewarm. Because praise has nothing to do with the lighting, has nothing to do with the PowerPoints, has nothing to do with how the band did this morning, has nothing to do with songs that we choose, it has nothing to do with how pure you feel, has nothing to do with your performance, it has nothing to do with your own righteousness. Praise has to do with the greatness of God. It has to do with the grace of Jesus. That means that you can come in. It doesn't matter if you've had a pig of a week. You can come in and praise because it's not about you. It's about him. And he never changes. You ever notice that your feelings change? You ever notice that you're quite an emotional human being and you're a little bit like a yo-yo, a little bit up and down, like a roller coaster? I am. I've had one of those weeks this week where I've been like an emotional roller coaster. But here's something that never changes. The grace of God in Jesus Christ. The goodness of God, the greatness of God. Praise is tethered to boasting in who he is, not who we are. Psalm 100 says this, Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. I tell you what, church, it's time to put our praise on. It's time to kind of clothe ourselves with the garments of praise and say, I am ready to rumble. I'm ready to give thanks to God, whether I feel like it or not. I'm bringing a sacrifice of praise into the presence of the Lord. Not because of me, but because of him. He's worthy. He's worthy. Every day he's worthy. When you go to work tomorrow morning, and as you're driving in your car or you're cycling on your bike, wherever you're getting there, just think, Father, you are worthy of my worship today. Because I tell you what, praise is the greatest weapon that you possess to change your circumstances. Praise is the highest form of prayer. In fact, I would suggest to you that 75% of your prayer life should be about praise and worship, not asking God and petitioning Him. Because the highest form of prayer is praise. 
When you come and say, God, you're worthy, I'm not coming to look at the size of my circumstances. I'm coming to look at the size of you. I'm looking at the greatness of God in Jesus Christ. I tell you what, that is the greatest weapon you possess to change your family, to change your workplace, to change your nation. It's praise. Praise. You remember when Joshua and the Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho, what is it that they're doing? Praise. Because praise always comes before the breakthrough. You need a breakthrough in your life? I need a breakthrough in my life. How's it going to come? Worship. Praise. Thanking God. I'm going to enter his courts with thanksgiving in my heart because of what God has done in Christ Jesus. And again, you could have the most lousy of circumstances in your life right now, but here is something that will never change. Jesus died for you. Jesus was raised again to life. Jesus now sits on a throne. You are seated with him. Your sins are forgiven forever, and you are going to be with him for all eternity. You have a thousand reasons to praise. You could just pick one and camp there for the rest of your life. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. What does Paul then go on to say? Well, Paul goes on to say this, that actually, it's not us that have blessed God, but it is God who has blessed us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. It's very important that we remember we are part of a grace story. It's a grace movement. It's a movement in which God took the first step. Do you know, every world religion apart from Christianity tries to figure out the way for man to get to God. Christianity is the only faith where actually it's a story about God finding a way to reach man. It's him stepping onto the page of your life. It's God who has blessed us. He who has first loved us. Now, I'm going to show you a photo that mustn't leave this room. So I don't want to see any photos. I don't want to see any flashes going off. You to forget the memory of this photograph. As soon as you leave. Now, I'd just like to say my hair looks bigger than usual because of the lighting. But, but if you think Jackson 5, my hair was not far off Jackson 5 territory in those days. And uh, this is Lauren while she was very, very, very young. And, uh, you know, just thinking as I was preparing this message, just how much I loved her just the moment I saw her. In fact, I loved her before I even met her. You know, you, you know, as kind of parents, you do that silly thing where you kind of sing to your kids in the womb and, you know, you're kind of sub- sending them subliminal messages before they're even taking their first breath. You know, I remember shouting, seagulls, through Carol's tummy as she was pregnant, you know, to try and influence her football kind of habits. I remember singing to her and talking in a kind of crazy, sloppy dad voice. You know, and, then, and, and if you think about it, a baby up to the point they're born has really contributed nothing other than a fair amount of pain and grief. You know, lots of sleepless nights for mum, usually. A bit of kicking here and there, a bit of kind of uncomfortableness, some strange kind of cravings during pregnancy. Just wave at me, women, if you had any strange cravings during pregnancy. I remember Carol, one of her strangest cravings is that she craved smelling anything that smelt like a farmyard. Her favorite thing to do was to smell a wet, muddy potato. In fact, I remember when she went into hospital to have Lauren, I had to smuggle in a wet, muddy potato in some silver foil so that at night she could get it out of her little hospital drawer and sniff it. (laughs) 
It was just very bizarre. At points, she wanted to eat manure and earth and, you know, wanted to walk past horses' stables. And, you know, what, the, the point is, children at this point have contributed very, very little to your life. They haven't loved you yet in any way. They haven't performed in any way. There are no works that they're bringing to the table. And yet, when I saw Lauren, I just loved her with all my heart. Why? Because she was my daughter. She was mine. She was mine. I loved her before she was even born. And this is what Paul is saying here. It's God who has blessed us. He who has first loved you. Before you brought anything to the table, he just loved you. And you made his life uncomfortable. And you kicked him and you made strange noises and strange requests. And you did things that you shouldn't have done. And yet God still loved you. He still loved you. God who has blessed us. This is what Philip Yancey says. Grace does not depend on what we have done for God, but rather what God has done for us. Ask people what they must do to get to heaven, and most reply, be good. But Jesus' stories contradict that answer. All we must do is cry, help. <laughs> That's the God of grace. How do you get into the kingdom? Help! <laughs> Anyone able to cry, help? But I tell you what, the greatest obstacle to you entering the kingdom is pride. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. All you have to do is say, help. And he rushes in because he's a God and Father of grace. It's not about your works. It's about his kindness. Paul later in chapter 2, verse 8, he says this, It is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You understand, you didn't get into the kingdom by your good works. You can't sin your way out of the kingdom now that Jesus has brought you into it. Because it didn't depend on you. It depended on him. He is a God of grace. And you know, there is one thing that concerns me. There are many things that concern me in culture right now. But here is one of them. It's something called entitlement culture. How many of you just wave at me if you come across entitlement culture anywhere in your life? You know, entitlement culture is running riot in our world right now. And it's this attitude that the world owes me something. You owe me something. God owes me something. I am owed something because I have rights. I have, I have privileges. I have things that I need. And therefore, I should have them because I am entitled to them. I have human rights and dignity as a human being. Therefore, you should supply them to me. And I'll suggest to you that entitlement culture is also running riot in the church, right across the nations. This attitude that, God, you owe me something, and you should answer my prayer straight away, and you should do things exactly in the way that I think you should do them. Anyone come across that in your own heart? <laughs> God, why are you doing it the way that I think is best? That's entitlement culture. And Paul kind of shoots that way of thinking in the head, and he's actually, it's about God of grace. God has given you something that you were never entitled to. Guess what? If you don't think you need rescuing, you have no need of a savior. If you think you're entitled to grace, you will never praise the God of grace because you think he's just given you something that you were entitled to in the first place. I was entitled to forgiveness. I was entitled to be in the kingdom. I was entitled to be crowned with many crowns. I was entitled to be clothed with a robe of righteousness. Paul says, no. In fact, at the start of Ephesians 2, he says, we were all by nature objects of wrath. We were dead in transgressions and sins, but because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made you alive in Christ Jesus. Oh, 
Paul says you were entitled to something. You were entitled to be cut off from God forever because of your rebellion against him. But God of grace has come to you. A God of mercy has stepped on the scene. And I would suggest to you that it's easy for Christians sometimes to subconsciously love the kingdom without needing the king anymore. You know, so many people, I would say, love the benefits of the kingdom. They love family. They love inclusion. They love a culture of generosity. They love a sense of honor. They love a sense of loyalty. They love the things that the kingdom brings. But subconsciously, sometimes it can be easy to love the benefits of the kingdom without loving the king anymore. And all the way through history, you see the decline of the church begins to happen when you remove the king from the kingdom. When you start to not have need of him. And Paul is saying, listen guys, forget that way of thinking. It's God who has blessed us. You have a need of him. Because without him, you are lost without a trace. You need the king and the kingdom. This is what one writer says about the liberal church at the moment. He says, A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of Christ without a cross. See, if you remove your need for grace, you remove your need for a savior. If you remove a God of grace, you remove Doctrines of judgment or wrath or separation from God, you remove actually the need for the cross. Paul is saying, listen, God has blessed you. He has stepped down into your world. He's a God of grace. Sam Albury says this, I don't need to look good so that Jesus can look good. I need to be honest about my colossal spiritual need so that he can look all sufficient. <laughs> How do you get in the kingdom? Help. I need you. I can't do it. That's how you get in the kingdom. And actually, how you got in the kingdom is how you're meant to live every day. God, I can't do this without you. I need your grace today. I am weak, but you are strong. Let your power be made perfect in my weakness. I recognize I am frail, but you are all sufficient, Father. God has blessed us. Don't know about you, but I'm getting happy as I preach this message. Here's what Paul says next. Paul says, Praise God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Just say the word every. Just say the word everything. Just say the word all. Okay, that's what Paul is saying. God has left nothing out in Christ. He has given you everything. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And what we're about to read in the rest of Ephesians grammatically is a really unusual passage of Scripture. Because it's like Paul just takes a deep breath in and then he just speaks in one long sentence without any pauses, commas or any grammar. It's very unusual Greek if you read it. And uh, it's literally like he could think of every good thing that he could think of and he just went... That's what he's doing in this passage that we're about to read. And so let's read it, and then we'll just consider a couple of bits together. And this is where Paul begins to unpack what these spiritual blessings are. Verse 4. For he chose us in him 
before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one that he loves. In him, we also have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he has lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and earth under Christ. And he's still, he's still just this one long sentence. In him, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who are the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You notice Paul finishes the way he starts, to the praise of his glory. We look in at what God has done so we can look up to who God is. This is just a breathtaking passage of scripture. Everything, everything, every spiritual blessing. And you know, spiritual blessings are the highest form of blessings that God can give you. Material blessings are good, but spiritual blessings are greater because spiritual blessings are eternal. They are everlasting. I just wonder whether you are living today with an eternal perspective. Are you living with an eye on eternity? Are you living with an eye of, I am going to live forever with Christ this flesh and bone, this, this, this blood, this chair I'm sitting on, this life that I'm living, this material existence, one day will be swallowed up by death. And on that day, I will be with him for the rest of eternity. Do you, do you live with that perspective? That's the perspective Paul is living with. He's saying to people who are being persecuted for their faith, who are materially poor, who physically were in danger, you're being blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Your blessings are in the heavenly realms. That's what he's saying. You know, I remember when my uh, dad had cancer, and uh, for a year or so, he was kind of walking through horrible treatment. Those of you that have had cancer or loved ones that have, you just know what that's like. You know that, what that year, that year and a half, however long that is, is like. And I remember my dad, he said, lots of people came and prayed for me during that season. And he said, it was great. I was so grateful for people who came and prayed that I would recover from my cancer. And he did recover from his cancer. But he said, to be honest, most of that year as I was going through treatment and surgery, he said, I was just thinking about eternity. He says, I was just thinking about meeting Jesus. And he said, the books I was reading were all about meeting Jesus face to face. And he said, I was ready. I was ready to meet him. And I was looking forward to eternity. And I just couldn't stop thinking about what eternal life is going to be like with him. I remember talking to my grandfather quite close to his death. And all he wanted to do was talk about Jesus. And that is someone who's living with an eternal perspective. Not living just for the material, but he's living for the 
everlasting. Paul is saying you have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms. You are a spiritual billionaire. You're a spiritual billionaire. He lists at least seven things here that are just extravagant gifts of God. Firstly, that we are chosen to be holy. Secondly, that we are adopted as his sons and daughters. Thirdly, we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Fourthly, that we have mysteries revealed to us. Fifthly, that we have been chosen to praise him. Sixthly, that we have been included in Christ. Seventhly, that we have been marked with the Holy Spirit the moment that we believed. Those are your spiritual blessings in Christ. Now, we could take the rest of the year to look at each one of these spiritual blessings. Why don't we just consider one? You've been chosen to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, I love the word that Paul uses here for chosen because it literally means a highly deliberate choice and real heart preference. Do you know that you're God's real heart preference? Isn't that amazing? You are God's real heart preference. He didn't just save you because he had to or because he was obliged to. You were his heart preference. He, he picked you by name. In fact, Paul says, he, in love, he predestined you. He saw you even before you were formed in your mother's room. He saw you before even the first molecule in the universe was created. He had planned your life and he had handpicked you. You are chosen. You're his real heart preference. And of course, this makes a tangible difference to the type of lives we live today because the truth now is, I am no longer a rejected being. I'm chosen in Christ. I'm chosen in Christ. You know, all of us face rejection of some sort in our life, that feeling of not being wanted, of being pushed aside, of being cast out. All of us have those experiences in our life at some point or other. But here is a truth that trumps those experiences. You're chosen. You're chosen by God. I can't give you any bigger trump card than you've been chosen by God. God has not rejected you. You're his heart preference. And Paul also says you've actually been chosen for something. You've been chosen to be holy and blameless. What a beautiful gift that is. You've been chosen to be holy and blameless. Again, that word holy literally means this, to be of one nature with the Lord. So you're his real heart preference, and you've called to be of one nature with the Lord. I, mean, I don't even understand what that looks like. But you have been so grafted into Christ that his nature has now become yours. You now share the family DNA, the family characteristic of God, who is holy, holy, holy. Paul says you are now holy and blameless as Christ is holy and blameless. Isn't that amazing? I don't know about you, but I'm still so aware of my failure and my sin. And yet this is what Paul says. You're his heart preference and you're chosen to be of one nature with the Lord. And this is all by grace. It's all by grace. <laughs> it's amazing. And of course, this is the reason why if you're a Christian and you still choose to sin, you're the most miserable person on the planet. Because you have to sin out of choice, not out of nature. It's not your nature to disobey God anymore. So when you do, that's why it feels so bad. Because it's not who you are anymore. You were chosen to be holy and blameless. 
You know, I've said this before, but I love that old slimming world motto of nothing tastes as good as being slim feels. Well, it's the same about holiness. Nothing tastes as good as being holy feels. Why? Because that's your nature. When you're being holy, you're in your natural habitat. You know, why don't I sleep with my partner before I get married? Because you've chosen to be holy. That's natural to you now. Why don't I get drunk? Why do I curtail my use of alcohol? Because you've been chosen to be holy and blameless. Why do I watch what words come out of my mouth? Because you've been chosen to be holy and blameless. Why do I raise my family in the fear of the Lord? Because you've been chosen to be holy and blameless. You are God's heart preference and you are now of one nature with the Lord. When you're being holy, you are in your natural habitat, my friend. That's who you really are. And we could go on and on and look at these spiritual blessings. Let me just finish with this. How do you pray for spiritual billionaires? How do you pray for people who have everything? (laughs) I reckon not many of us actually pray for billionaires that often because we think, ah, they've not got many needs, have they? You know, they've kind of got it all sorted. But Paul actually, he prays. He prays for these spiritual billionaires that he is writing to. And this is what he says in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Here's his prayer. I keep asking that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. What do you pray for spiritual billionaires? That they might understand what is theirs in Christ. That they might see. That's what you pray. I was reading this tragic story of uh, one man who was found homeless under a bridge. He died of hypothermia. What they discovered is that he unknowingly was a secret millionaire. He had $19 million in his bank account and he never realized. He never realized. I want to suggest to you that that is a sobering picture for many of us as Christian believers who are spiritual billionaires, but we don't actually know what we're carrying around on the inside. And Paul says, listen, I pray that you would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that you would know him better. What is the greatest adventure you can go on? To know God (laughs) and to know what he has freely given you in Jesus Christ. He prays that you might see.